Hello and welcome back to season two of the Agnes London podcast. I'm very excited to be back with season two. It feels like a long time ago that we wrapped up season one just before Christmas. So before we get into the episode, I just wanted to say one thing, and that's that the first three episodes of this series were recorded at the end of February. There's still lots of great content in them, but apologies if they seem a little outdated with current events. This week, I'm chatting to Sabina, founder of fashion brand Sabina. We talk about doing fashion weeks differently, respecting the maker and advice for starting your own fashion brand. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Sabina. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm, uh, you're my first guest after a while, so hopefully this will go well. And we've just recorded um, an episode of your podcast. Exactly. And this is actually the first time I'm doing a back-to-back uh, podcast recording where I'm interviewing someone and then I'm being interviewed. Mm-hmm. So a lot of first times here. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to resting my voice while you talk. <laughs> oh God. This is, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm preparing for, so for a long you, talk. <laughs> so you run um, women's wear brand Sabina. That's right. Named after yourself. Yes. So could you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Like, you know, what made you want to start up your own fashion brand? Sure. H- how far back am I allowed to go? <laughs> um, well, because we've only got, you know, an hour. So okay. let's start at like late teens going to university. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, because I was about to say, obviously, um, you can you can go as far back uh, as possible and uh, tell all the little details of every story. But just maybe, you know, to, to give an understanding of how I ended up in the fashion industry and why I decided to go for fashion is when I was a child, uh, my grandmother, uh, she told me how to knit and how to crochet and how to sew and pattern cut. I don't have anyone in my family working in the creative industries in general. So mm-hmm. that was kind of my first touch point with uh, fabrics and with uh, handcraft. And I was amazed. I loved how you create something three-dimensional out of something two-dimensional. So having threads and having flat fabric and they turn into all these beautiful things for my Barbies and mm. for myself. So this was magical for me. My grandma was a magician and I really (laughs) wanted to be one too. So that's where it all started. But obviously, again, not having a background in it or not having anyone who can show you that there's actually a career, there's a possibility Mm. to work in fashion. I never understood it can be. I always thought this will be part of my life, but I don't know what to do with it. Um, I'm originally from uh, Russia, from from back when I was born, it was still the USSR. I'm young, but not that young. (laughs) So, um, but I grew up in Austria, in Vienna. So when I was a teenager, I went to a normal high school with a focus on languages. So I do speak four languages today, but I didn't have any art or any anything creative. Mm. So everything that was related to fashion, I had to figure out on my own, um, basically outside of uh, education, outside of high school. And when I was about 12 or 13, I decided I want to become a fashion designer. I went and bought a book which was about the best fashion designers of the 20th century. (laughs) And at the very back of the book, it said, if you want to be a designer, you should try to apply to these universities. And St. Martin's was one of them and Mm -hmm. Parsons was one of them. So I made a little list and I thought once the time come, I will go and apply to these universities. Went to high school when I was 14, uh, started my first summer job because that's what you can do in Vienna as a teenager. You're allowed to work in summer. I worked for a fast fashion company uh, sorting out their archive. Th- that company doesn't exist anymore. It was called Schweppes and it was a challenger. I was challenging H&M back mm-hmm. then, actually. Um, it's an Austrian company. It was an Austrian company. 
So that gave me a lot of insights how much it actually takes to run a business, how much paperwork is involved. And I was amazed. Went on to work in retail next to uh, going to high school, um, Friday afternoons, weekends, learned a lot about the industry, learned a lot about how to deal with customers, difficult customers, how to talk to them. Did a lot of odd jobs as well, like delivering goods to luxury customers those who get the really expensive stuff or yeah. doing window decorations, just really random things. Mm-hmm. At that time, I thought, oh, don't know why I'm doing it. But in retrospective, really helpful. Yeah. And then I applied to university in Vienna first, because somehow when that time came, I forgot about that book. I forgot about all my goals and <laughs> ideas. And I panicked. And I yeah. thought, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to go to any, any other city or country. We have a university in Vienna. I'm going to apply to the University of Applied Arts to study fashion design. Uh, was shortlisted, made into the finals didn't get in. Mm-hmm. 17 back then, devastated. Honestly thought this is it. Everyone was right. I didn't really have a support system in terms of people telling me you can do it. I have parents who tell me dream big always and go and do whatever you feel like doing. And I have a partner who is very, very supportive. But at the same time, there was always kind of like, oh, maybe you just need to be rational and really think this through. Uh, so I decided if I didn't get in, let's kind of not really call it, but give it a break. I went on to study Slavonic languages and I looked for a job, mm. uh, got rejected. And then one company gave me a studio assistant job that then developed to be a designer assistant job. Their name is Shela Khan. They're amazing designers back in Vienna with a beautiful uh, shop in the first district. And that was mind blowing for me. This was the first time I got to work with real life designers. <laughs> Uh, and Anita and Godron from the founders of this company, they were very supportive. They said, well, you didn't get into the university in Vienna. Why don't you apply somewhere else? There's mm. so many universities. And this was the push I needed. Yeah. So I applied. I've sent my portfolio. David, my partner, he helped me to take the photos of a collection that I've sewn within a week, <laughs> the portfolio that I've done in two days. We DHL'd it. I've never been to London before. <laughs> I didn't know how CSM looks like or what the city looks like. I've just sent, there was, t- these were the times before UCAS as well. So I didn't apply through the yeah. UCAS online system. I had to send it through. Also, I was Russian citizen living in Europe. So there was kind of an exception that I couldn't go for an interview directly being an international student, mm-hmm. even though I'm living in Europe. Yeah. I had to send it through. Um, if you have a little time, I will tell my dramatic story um, of the application. I actually got into university, but I never found out because they've sent a letter saying that I got accepted on the foundation degree, but it got lost. But I followed up to get my portfolios back. And that's when they emailed me back saying, well, why didn't you reply to your offer? (laughs) So this is kind of a learning to always follow up, follow up on things, follow up, be the annoying person, email two, three, four times. If you really want something, you have to chase it. Mm. So yeah, I followed up, uh, got in, moved to London. That was now 10 years ago. It was 19 back then. London was a magical experience from the first moment on. I love the vibe of the city. I feel like my energy level is really made for the city and the city is made for me. I still Mm -hmm. feel that way. This is the magical place where so many things for me started to happen, where for the first time I feel like I've been seen, like I've been supported. Um, CSM was a great experience, most of all because I met great people. So some Mm. of my closest friends are uh, those who I met in CSM. But in general, I mean, there are a lot of things that I question about university and education. We can talk about that a bit later. Um, Well, I still ended up to kind of follow this this kind of route of having as many jobs as you can in this Mm -hmm. industry. Worked for several designers, several startups, 
Also got to work in Paris for a while for Dior in their knitwear department. That was a very great experience. And I also worked here for America Tronzo. Um, but I always knew I want to set up my own business. And finally, 2015, I felt this is it. I have so many jobs on my CV, have the education, mm -hmm. have everything I need. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, later on, I knew I didn't have everything I need, but um, definitely someone who decided to throw myself in. And that's how Sabina was born, yeah. which is conscious fashion made in the UK and in Austria with a focus on product and events for educational purposes to push the sustainability agenda. So why that focus on sustainability and on conscious fashion? What was it kind of in your time within the industry that made you think that you didn't just want to start up another fashion brand? I was really naive about it, I have to say, because coming from a background where my grandma passed on traditional handcraft skills to me, I never thought that there are people who suffer to make fashion to sew clothes in really bad conditions. It didn't occur to me, honestly. Mm. I was very naive about it. I always thought, oh my God, how can someone not respect the maker? Because they are the magicians in it. So when I went on to work in this industry and see how many people are involved and how we lack transparency, because a lot of times we don't even see how the garments are made, this is when I started to question how the other side looks like. And that's when I also decided I want to be as local as possible. So mm. for us, it's also important to get our materials as local as we can, to work with um, everyone who who is kind of part of, of the brand and the company to keep them close to us. It's not only about reducing the carbon footprint, but also about kind of having the control of the product and the transparency. At university, they didn't teach us a lot back then. Honestly, yeah. the conversation about sustainability, it started to boom probably past two years. I don't know if you will agree with me, but yeah, no, it yeah, started five years yeah. ago, but the buzzword that sustainability yeah. is now, that's very fresh. Yeah. When I was at university, it was like, if you want to make sustainable fashion, like you're not using nice fabrics, mm -hmm, you're mm -hmm. using like hemp. And true, things true. Like there that. was a certain look, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's what we're saying as well. We push ethics without compromising aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And I find that there's no reason to make items that are not sustainable, but also there's no reason to make ugly items that are sustainable. <laughs> so you need to find the balance because people don't buy clothes, uh, you know, because they're sustainable. They buy, they still buy them for emotional reasons. Yeah. And we need to bear that in mind. So I feel that the whole sustainability understanding was in me from the very beginning but I needed to evolve it and I needed to educate myself in a lot of fields, especially when it comes to material research along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess it was kind of a, the shock of finding out during my studies, during my time when I worked in this industry, how crappy this industry is, how it sparkles on the inside and rottens on the inside. I know sparkles it's on the outside, outside and, and rotten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's very dramatic, but it is like sparkle on the outside, rotten on the inside. And it, it, yeah. it is like that. <laughs> yeah, there's that saying, isn't there, that I don't meet your heroes. And that's kind of how I felt when I went to work for fashion brands that I really admired. Yeah. Is you'd see the you'd see the other side to it. Yeah. Well, I have to say with a lot of jobs, I was mostly I was shocked when I started to work with startups because I knew I want to have my own brand at some point. And I thought the best way is to go and follow someone, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to be their shadow for as long as I can and do every possible task from making coffee for them to sewing stuff for them to just finding out what they do. And I was shocked how interns are not paid, how bad I was treated sometimes, how I, I, I worked in the worst conditions, you know, in cold rooms, in uh, no food, no pee breaks. And we're not talking about factories on the other side of the world. We're talking about designer studios or their small shared spaces here in London. Yeah. 
And that brought the whole conversation around, do you have to work this way when you start a brand or can you actually make a difference and make it better? What's the reason that we mm. have to work for free? And I see a big problem in free internships because if we don't give um, our industry the value by not paying everyone across the supply chain, including people who work in your studio, how can we ask other people to put value on that product and pay the full price for it? So that's a conversation we need to have and it's an uncomfortable one. Yeah, definitely. Do you think your experience as a maker and you know having those skills that your grandmother taught you, do you think if you hadn't had those, you maybe wouldn't have been so aware of um, valuing the, the maker side of things? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I think there's, I'm not a typical train designer, I would say, because I'm very driven by the business side of things. I'm always very excited about strategies, about customer <laughs> journeys. Probably not a typical designer. And I had a hard time at CSM sometimes when yeah. they told me, to be more designer and less business. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a good balance to have. I have huge respect for everyone who's on board to make these things happen. I don't want them to suffer. I don't want anyone to die for fashion. It's not worth it. But at the same time, I want to find a good balance of making it financially viable while it's still creative and beautiful and aesthetically pleasing. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there's a real disconnect between consumers and what goes into mm -hmm. making their clothes. Mm -hmm. And because we're so used to seeing um, high street prices, we can't believe when we see, you know, designer pieces or pieces that are well made and they have they have the real, the, the kind of price they should be on them. It kind of shocks yeah. people. Of course, there are so many problems and so many layers to come with it. You can't simply get rid of um, the high street and all the cheaper stuff and say, this is it. Everyone has to pay full price now for, I don't know what it's worth. Mm. We need to have a deeper conversation. I guess sustainability becomes a bit exclusive at the moment, yeah. which I'm trying not to support. It's important to educate your consumer. It's important to bring the consumer on board, but it's also important to keep the transparency and not be exclusive, to include as many different people as possible into the conversation. Because what's happening now is we have um, kind of like we divided people into those who can afford it and, and want to yeah. afford it and those who can't afford it and get mad because they've been told that they're, they're the reason that we are in this climate crisis that we are, which... Yeah isn't as easy you can't yeah. just things are not black and white no and that allows for greenwashing amongst oh, yeah, bigger brands yeah. doesn't it creating well, their kind of their yeah. more conscious collections and things like that exactly and that's very sad because and that's what i said when i when i talked about sustainability being this buzzword for the past two years mm. when we started off as part of the storytelling, as part of the press releases, I always mentioned uh, the respect for the makers of how everything is made either in the UK or in Austria. People didn't really care. They loved the handcraft aspect. They loved the story with my grandmother. Yeah. But no one really wanted to know who made it, how it's made. And then we started to see a real shift. Mm. What happens in the last year, especially, greenwashing is stronger than ever. Everyone realized it's a marketing tool now. Sustainability is yeah. not only about the values anymore. It's about of who can sell it better and bigger. Yeah. And that concerns me a lot. Yeah, I've had people email me um, asking for my products or things because sustainability is on trend. I'm like, well, we're not going to work together. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. Let's not call sustainability a trend because mm. trends, they come and go. Yeah, definitely. And but this... sustainability can't go. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I hate the word sustainability. I'm so tired of it. 
simply because the definition of it is so wrong these days. People don't know what it means and we have to start from scratch. Whenever we talk to the consumers and we try to talk to them as much as we can, we just realize if we don't use the same definition for things, we don't have any common ground to start a conversation on. And yeah. that, that makes it really difficult. If all of a sudden it's enough for a brand to ship their orders in recycled boxes while it's still polyester <laughs> and made who knows where and how and why, and then they have the power to call themselves sustainable. Yeah. It's a huge problem we it have is. here. It definitely yeah. is. So um, Sabina recently celebrated its fifth birthday. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> and you said that you are very interested in the customer journey side of things. Mm-hmm. How have you noticed the customer's awareness around these issues shift over that time? Uh, well, they shifted a lot, but I guess I changed as well. And our strategy changed because in the very beginning, I, everyone who starts a business, you're a bit afraid of your customer, aren't you? Because this is the person who will decide if it works or not. They yeah. buy or not. Yeah. They validate or they don't. Uh, in the very beginning, I tried to hide from my customers whenever we had an online order and then someone would return something. I was devastated. I took it so personal. And that's um, a learning process for me. And that's a personal growth I had to go through. But I could see how people had questions. And whenever we posted something from a factory or a photo of us creating things in the studio, there were a lot of comments. There were there was a lot of engagement. Uh, people started to reply to our newsletters, wanting to know more or saying thank you for sharing an article or any type of information. I started more and more people um, to see more and more people in my kind of uh, circle to come up to me and ask me things because they saw me as a sustainability expert all of a sudden because we've been doing it before it became a trend. Yeah, And I thought, well, I would be stupid not to explore that further. That's when we started to do events mm-hmm. and networking events, pop-ups um, to meet the co- consumer in real life, but also our workshops. We call them Sabina How To. You have Sabina How To Crochet, Sabina How To Do Beaded uh, Flower Clips for Your Hair, Sabina How To Paint Your Own Jumper. So it's like a range of things where you can learn handcraft, learn the value, understand the value of things, but also meet us as a company and kind of become part of this community, but also part of the change. Mm. Yeah, part of your journey. Part, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I want I want everyone to be part of it. I don't think it's possible to cause change just by yourself. I think the triangle of manufacturers, brands, and consumers needs to connect. It needs to be all three of us. Mm-hmm. I need to tell the manufacturers my feedback of what I think can be improved. And they have to tell me of what is possible and what I can do from my side. Like, for example, not pushing them into crazy making times and asking for deadlines that are just not possible to fulfill without people working extra hours that are not being paid or in bad conditions. Yeah, I have to tell the consumer um, that you can trust me and I tell you all the transparency and it's true and I validate it because I checked and the consumer has to ask me because they should question stuff. They should read the labels. Mm. And then the same, it's also kind of my responsibility as a brand owner to connect the manufacturer side with the consumer. The more we connect this triangle, the more we talk to each other, the more bridges we have in between us, the better. Yeah. And I think what's lovely about events as well is... Um, 
the these days like to build a brand you really need to have a strong social media presence or like social media is very important in storytelling and things like that so it's really nice to get offline and to actually meet your customers offline Mm -hmm. and you know connect with them in person isn't it i agree there's something very special about it and it's just nice the other day i saw a lady on the tube wearing a coat from us like randomly and I had a really 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 bad day (laughs) and I was just sitting there exhausted and devastated thinking what am I actually doing with my life then I see just across on the other side on the tube she's sitting there wearing um Sabina coat from season five and I I, honestly I wanted to start crying (laughs) (laughs) did you say anything to her I was thinking and I thought if it happens for us to like get off the same stop I will talk to her but if not I will just let this magical moment sink in and enjoy it as much as I can but this type of connection we didn't even talk Mm. but I felt so connected seeing a real live person enjoying our product knowing it's been sold many years ago because it's kind of an older season as well yeah it's beautiful and that happens all the time when I see people wearing our stuff when I see people coming and joining us for the events when I see people coming to our pop-ups and they would say oh my god I saw it online I really needed to see you offline I really wanted to meet the team that's special you can't yeah Mm, yeah I don't I don't want to give any of that away (laughs) no definitely not you should have run out to her and been like I'm Sabina (laughs) well you know at first I thought I kind of tried to to click in with the empathy and think about how would I feel if someone comes up to me like I'm the designer of your coat (laughs) (laughs) so I thought maybe I'll frighten her (laughs) (laughs) maybe yeah but maybe I don't know if there if there's someone's listening out there and owns a beautiful Sabina coat (laughs) reach out to me I saw you (laughs) and you yeah you take the jubilee line it was the jubilee line (laughs) call me (laughs) then I like your coat Come, come and buy more <laughs> oh that's such a lovely story yeah I I love that when people come up and they're like oh I've already brought something from you and I'm like oh if they're like I follow you online I'm like oh yeah this makes, makes it really real happy yeah it makes it real you know you see there are real people who need your product yeah exactly yeah it's really nice so um is this why connecting people you know obviously you have your own podcast now called connecting people is that where this came from? Like you felt the need to open up more conversations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a multi-layered business these days. We started with a product because I'm a trained designer and that's what I thought I want to do. And I realized fashion is lifestyle and the way we consume fashion these days and the way we should consume in general, it's about experiences. So podcast is just kind of an extension to that. And we called it Connecting People because I felt for so many years, I was kind of ashamed to share my story and to share my failures and to share my journey. I always felt like I'm not enough. Whatever I do is not the perfect type of way of doing things. Until I started to talk to people and hear their stories. And I thought, oh, everyone should hear it. Mm. And that's how Connecting People was born. And it's really not about talking what we do these days and what our jobs are today or how we're trying to change. But to talk about all the things you've already achieved and kind of also reflect and sit down and just tap yourself on the shoulder and say, well done. Mm-hmm. Amazing. You've done an incredible job. You came so far. You looked for your own path. Despite all the bad things that happened, despite all the uh, drama that happened and the failures, also just the definition of failure. Yeah. That needs to be reconsidered. That's what we're trying to do with the podcast. And I Mm -hmm. didn't think I will enjoy it that much, but we're now in like season two. Yeah. Yeah. 
So um, this is meant to be a podcast about sustainability and well-being. And this is something I definitely didn't ask enough of last season. So that kind of reminded me now, obviously the brand has your name on it. It's very closely connected Mm -hmm. to you personally. It's also quite tricky to try and run a brand in the kind of conscious space or to try and do things a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be very daunting when we hear the news about um, the climate crisis and things like that. So I guess my question to you is how do you look after yourself as a founder and as the kind of the namesake of your business? How do you look after yourself and make sure that you don't take those failures or those bad days too personally? That's a very good and very difficult question. I guess let's start maybe with uh, giving the company my own name. Again, coming back to being quite naive and coming out of CSM, everyone who started their own business, their business was called first name, last name. That's Mm it. Um, All the advice I got from my tutors to call it Sabina Rachimova, first name, last name. I didn't want to be a designer, designer. I wanted to be a brand. And I thought to be a brand, it needs to be short. It needs to be first name because my last name is complicated. No one can pronounce it. So I went um, with Sabina because I thought this is how I feel because I'm sharing a part of my journey coming from that handcraft background and so on. And last year I've done a leadership training. It's the first time someone mentioned that apparently uh, risks of uh, being affected by mental health issues as a founder is higher if you gave your own company your name because you take everything more personal. Mm. And all of a sudden it really made sense. Yeah, yeah. It is true. And sometimes I talk and being like, oh, yeah, so Sabina is conscious fashion. And I I talk about me, but not me Mm. saying my name, but meaning a company. It is very tricky. And just as what what the story I told about the returns and how personal I took that, that's all part of it. If someone rejects the brand, they reject me personally. So I had to put a lot of um, work into it of realizing it's not personal failure. It's not me. You decided to give your company, your name. So own it now. You need to understand that you need to separate these two. And in terms of how to stay healthy in this very unhealthy environment, that's a very tricky one. I still try to figure it out. I have times where I'm doing a great job, but I have times where I'm really failing and taking care of myself and listening to my body. If you choose to be a founder, you choose a certain lifestyle. It's Mm. not a secret that it's not going to be easy. It's not a secret that a lot of times you have to do jobs for five people, but you chose it. Yeah. I think one thing that is important that I bear in mind is I can always stop doing what I'm doing if I want to. It's important to keep this reality check in place. So I could always close my company and then just go and look for a job and become healthier and better and so on and so on and have a salary, proper salary, you know, and not, not so much risk, um, not taking risk every day. But I chose to do that. And I take a lot of positive energy from doing what I love. There is something so special about being able to live your dream and fulfill your dream every day. We should not underestimate that. Mm. So I'm trying to remind myself whenever I have these dark times, these really exhausting times, what is it about? What's the purpose of what I'm doing? I'm trying to change something. I'm trying to set an example and I'm living my dream. And that positivity helps me a lot. But obviously, it's not a lie that exercise helps. Healthy nutrition helps. I know it's not rocket science. It's nothing new, but I'm still going to mention that because I know that a lot of my colleagues, a lot of other founders, we simply forget to take care of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So so go to that massage if you can. Take that weekend off. Go from like leave social media for a while. Do that. Mm. It, it all works and it helps. Yeah. 
yeah that's good advice i think especially when you're um in the early stages of starting up and maybe money might be a bit tight it kind of yeah. or even time like um i know when things get busy for me like the first things to go are anything i do for myself you know and like in the run-up to christmas and stuff like in the business just yeah. becomes all consuming then it's like right everything else can start again in january <laughs> no no it's it's important to it's mm. important to say no to things yeah this is my biggest struggle because whenever people ask me Oh, because I do, I run a company, but I also lecture at university and I also do consultancies. So it means I kind of wear a lot of hats. Yeah. And it's difficult for me sometimes to be, okay, Sabina, it's about you. You just have to say no and take that Saturday off because you didn't have one off in a long time. I fail at that many, many times still today. And I need people. And for example, David, my partner, he's actually really good in pulling me back with this saying, say no, you can't be at every gig. You can't do every panel. You can't go to every like you can't be everywhere at the same yeah. time yeah I need that I, I need someone who like grounds me and brings me back to reality <laughs> sometimes yeah definitely um so that probably kind of answers my next question a little bit but I was my next question I was going to ask you about the lessons you've learned throughout starting your own business oh so many how, how many am I allowed <laughs> let's go with three okay so one very valuable thing is ask for help. Yeah. Yes. Ask for help. Just don't be too proud. There are people who do a better job with certain things. You don't have to be the expert in everything. Mm -hmm. And I have to say I'm incredibly lucky because I have a team. These girls, these women are made out of gold, as I always say. It's like very, very lucky. They, they're always willing to help and do things that's not even on their agenda or not even on part of their job description mm -hmm. but because they also believe in in the brand and what we do and the change that we try to cause without them i'm nothing mm. quoting david boy here but <laughs> it is true <laughs> so that would be one um, ask for help and take that help second one is trust your guts so many times people would have tell, like, would tell me this is not going to work because no one else did it. There must be a reason why no one else did it. But if you feel it, if you feel like this is the right decision, do it anyway. Mm. I'm so much happier if I do something that I really wanted to and trusted my gut and it doesn't work rather than never trying it out and always thinking of what might have happened. Mm -hmm. yeah. Had both situations and I do enjoy the one failing with my own ideas more. <laughs> And a third one, I would say never stop dreaming. Mm -hmm. Just like there is always something else. There's if, if something you really wanted to doesn't work out, it doesn't mean there's not another project around the corner waiting for you. Dream big. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, I love that, that you'd rather you fail with your own ideas. Yeah. yeah. That's a nice takeaway. <laughs> so let's talk about the brands for a bit. It's obviously a fashion brand. Yeah. Um, fashion is very much spring, summer, autumn, winter, new, new, new mm -hmm. all the time. The next collection, um, which is probably why, the, which is kind of why the fashion industry is in the state it's in because it just mm -hmm. gets faster and faster. So how, as a fashion brand, do you combat that while still, you know, obviously this isn't the collection you created five years ago. How do you progress and move forward as a brand and introduce newness while still sticking with your values 
that's something we discuss every day, to be honest, because as sustainability as a conversation evolves as well, I feel like we can't stop with decisions we've made before. We need to evolve as well and make changes. So it's important for us not to always to stick to whatever we plan to do, but change the company and change the way we operate. We've done quite a long, well, I would say it's been a quite long journey, kind of a long kind of, I don't even know how to describe it properly, but what, what happened to us is there was a whole evolution of starting as a brand that was all about the seasons, all about wholesale. We did fashion shows at London Fashion Week mm -hmm. for four seasons. We were very lucky because we had some sponsoring coming through, so we didn't have to pay for the show space and so on and so on. That was great because it put us in a certain spotlight. People recognized and realized that we are there. They've seen us. So that was great. But at some point, I just didn't understand the purpose of it anymore. What's the purpose of a show? What's the purpose of going faster and faster and more products, more products? So I started to ask myself, it's not only about creating a sustainable product, it's also about creating less product. Mm -hmm. But how can you grow by creating less product? Yes, it's, it's kind of counterproductive, isn't it? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And just what we spoke about before, I still want to be financially viable. I want to be a business. This yeah. is not a charity. No. How do I do that? And mm -hmm. I would say it took us quite a while, but we went through a whole transition of doing shows, then questioning the way people showcase, especially young brands, especially small scale brands. We decided to do a hybrid between presentation and fashion show where the models walked out, but they stayed in the room so you can come and touch the clothes and take photos of them. We've done three run throughs, so there's no kind of coming late. The reaction was great. They gave us kind of a push to maybe do something else. The season after, we've done a mixed uh, reality shopping experience in a collaboration with the FIA. We won an award for that. Mm -hmm. And this is where it all kicked in. And I realized, okay, it's all about experimenting. Every season, we'll try to showcase in a different way. We'll try to involve as many people as we can. We've done influencer marketing-based uh, showcases where we've sent out all the looks to influencers that we worked with who would share the look with a direct swipe up to then purchase the clothes. We got rid of the wholesale part completely because that, again, for me, wasn't sustainable, wasn't a good way of working because it's always thinking six months ahead. It's mm -hmm. fulfilling someone else's wishes. It's never knowing if this item is going to sell and if it's not going to sell, it might be returned to you. Yeah. It's quite a common practice to do sale or return in wholesale, which a lot of people don't know that. But when you start off, that's the thing most of the boutiques will offer you. Mm. Um, I didn't find that good. I didn't want to be part of that. So stop doing that. So there was a lot of kind of evaluating what is suitable for the journey that we chose and what is suitable for the voice that we want to be. And nowadays, with that whole events part that came in, I feel that this is finally starting to make sense for me as well. Yeah. I'm not trying to make and scale up and make more money through more product. Now we're only producing whatever we need to produce. So we take the data and we analyze what was sold. Only this gets reproduced. We have an evergreen section of items that are from all the seasons. And they keep coming back because people love them and mm -hmm. they want them. So we know they will sell. They won't sit on our rail. We stopped doing seasons. We don't have this uh, spring, summer we've never done, but we had two big seasons a year, which we don't do anymore. We do small drops reacting to customers' demand. We do special projects. We do collaborations. Again, small drops and really kind of focused on 
you don't need a lot of product. I prefer to do less but sell out Mm -hmm. rather than to produce a lot and then having it sitting and then Mm. going into sale with it. And we have that big event part now that we're trying to grow and scale up where it's all about the educational aspect of bringing the consumer on board, of scaling the business without necessarily creating more product. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. So at the time that we are recording this, this episode probably won't go out for a few more weeks, but at the time that we're recording this, um, London Fashion Week has just been and Yeah, gone. it finished, I think. Yeah, it's been, yeah. been and gone last week, I think, yeah. Um, so is is this the first year that you have did you do anything for it or like is this the first year that you haven't done anything for it mm-hmm. we we did but not really for fashion week we currently have a one month pop-up which is the longest pop-up we have ever done in cold drops yard uh which is more about our five-year celebration rather than uh, fashion week we've done fashion week the proper way in terms of staying up till 4 a.m., finishing Mm -hmm. things for the show, being exhausted, uh, really kind of push yourself in a very unhealthy position when it comes to mental health and how to cope with stress. This time, it was just so nice to not have any of that. We had a very, very busy February so far. It was pop-up, event, kind of working on new projects, so many new things happening. But I'm so much happier Mm. because it's on our terms. Yeah. Because we're doing what we really stand behind and we were really believe in. So it was refreshing. And as you just said, I had to remind myself that it is Fashion Week. I was like, oh, wow, (laughs) so much is happening. I'm not saying that Fashion Week is bad, but I think we can't carry on the way we've been doing things before. I just think you need to question whatever is suitable for your business. We Mm -hmm. can't ask young businesses to follow know if you're going to hear it but yeah you can't ask young businesses to follow into the footsteps of big brands who have heritage who have budget who Mm -hmm. have just a very different kind of way of working i can't compete with chanel or dior and i don't want to Mm. they're doing a beautiful job i love their shows i watch them as well they're gorgeous we're not about that we're something else so we're doing something else i think we need to realize that the fashion industry is more diverse yeah than people wanted to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely yeah I mean that's so good to hear that you're doing it your own way and it's working out for you and I think it's so nice to see a brand that has that confidence to um you know mix it up and experiment and be like this is what works for us we, we try we try it's not it's not always working well and mm. being a pioneer is exhausting <laughs> but also so much fun <laughs> definitely definitely Um, So what advice would you have for other young designers, maybe still in university, want to um, have their own label? What advice do you have for those people? It's always difficult with advice. Uh, Try to be, I just feel feel overwhelmed when people ask me for advice because I feel I need a lot of advice myself. But you lecture at university, don't you? Sure, sure. And well, uh, I love to give out advice. But at the same time, if you if you have uh, advice for me, please, again, email me. Um, so I don't know, maybe it will be a bit too similar to the lessons I've learned. But probably in general, the advice is don't be afraid to risk, to take risk mm-hmm. and do it. Just do it, do it, do it, do it. Yeah, I have so many young people I'm working with or even young brands that I'm consulting. They would overthink every decision four, five, six, seven times 
which is good, especially when you plan your budget. But sometimes you just need to start it. You need to do it. You need to get that social media account. You need to start that podcast, whatever that is. Stop yeah. talking about it. Do it. Yeah. I think there's so much you can take away from trial and error. No book will teach you. No Google will answer all your questions unless yeah. you do it. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. That's, yeah, I very much try and follow that advice. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, just start it. It doesn't matter if, like, 10 people listen. Like, you haven't lost anything. It, true. And then, it, exactly, that's actually a good point. You can uh, calculate your risk, right? You can mm -hmm. sit down and be like, okay, so what is the worst case scenario? Yeah. If I'm not going to do it, what will happen? What's the worst thing that can happen? And if it's something really bad, it's in terms of this is my last money and I will be homeless, mm. then don't do it. Yeah. But if the risk won't harm you that much, why are you not doing it? Yeah, why not go for it? Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. <laughs> my final question is um, going to be, what have you seen or read recently that's left you feeling positive and uplifted about the future? This can be fashion related, can be environment related, can be, I don't know, anything. I have to say the fact that I'm spending so much time with students and looking at the next generation coming up, that lifts me up for mm -hmm. sure. Because hearing their ideas and listening to their concepts gives me a lot of hope. Mm. They're very aware of what's happening. The, their, way, their mindset is very different from from ours or from yeah. what I was taught back when I was at university. And that's very refreshing. So that's definitely something that kept me quite positive um, in, in the past uh, weeks, if not month. <laughs> I'm reading a very dark book at the moment, so I'm not <laughs> going to recommend that because it's all about serial killers and uh, the dark mind of uh, people that uh, go crazy. I maybe not recommend that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, I, I, don't, I don't think... Were any is... of them founders of their own business? <laughs> and, and not, not that I know of, but now when you're asking, I should double check. Uh, no, so I'm definitely not recommending that. Um, I have to say, last year, I've consumed a lot. I have like this list that I write in terms of what, what um, series I watch, what movies I watch, what books I read. And I don't know how I managed to do that, but it's a lot. And it's not, I'm not sure it's health, if it's healthy or not. So I'm trying to challenge myself this year to consume more carefully and probably a bit less. I don't have to watch everything that's on Netflix. I don't have to read every book out there or listen to every podcast. And I'm a huge fan of podcasts. Mm. Uh, but I guess in terms of business, I can really recommend the book Hacking Growth. Mm -hmm. um, so I read that last year and I found it refreshing because sometimes when you've been doing what you're doing for a while, you're stuck. Yeah. And that book really helped me to reevaluate some of the things that were on my mind. So that's in terms of books. Um, and then podcasts. Oh, there's so many good podcasts out there. I just really recommend just, just open whatever you use is it Apple Podcasts or Spotify and type in whatever you're looking <laughs> for in terms of topic and listen to other people. It's not about, you know, doing the same thing they're doing, but it's something about sharing. Yeah. 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 Some of the most interesting podcasts I listen to are the ones I don't mean to. Yeah. Like I just let them run and then it's someone I've never heard of yeah. comes on and exactly. like, they have some really interesting points. And that's why I'm saying it's good to type in. What I do sometimes as well, I do get obsessed with people. There are mm -hmm. certain founders where I just really want to know everything about their story. Yeah. So I would look for their name yeah. and see what I can find. And that's always refreshing. So I had that. I'm happy to share with who I was obsessed with recently. <laughs> um, the founder of Reformation, for example. Uh -huh. So she's incredible. Yeah. And 
Um, I listened to two episodes with her and she had so many interesting points. And obviously in the US, the way they approach sustainability and the way they talk about fast and slow fashion is so different compared to the way we do it. And I found that refreshing because I never thought about that. Mm, listen to that one. And then another one was like, um, The Cut is a great um, is a great podcast as mm-hmm. well. That's not really related in terms of it's not really business. It's not really fashion. Yeah. But so many good episodes. Um, yeah. So there's the role model podcast. Ooh, so this is a good one. this is a really good one. Uh, so you have English uh, speaking episodes and German speaking one as well. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who speak German, you have a lot of episodes to go through. <laughs> and this is about they're inviting women who are role models in whatever they yeah. do and game changers and just interview them. And it's incredible to see how many brave women there are out there. And, you know, me being a double immigrant and being a woman who grew up probably in an environment where it wasn't always encouraged to uh, show your strength and be yourself, I'm still learning. I'm still Mm. learning how to. And I'm happy that we have all these resources available to us for free. Yeah. So I am able to learn. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for those. So finally... Where can people find you? Oh, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot I forgot to promote our podcast. So another great podcast is Connecting People <laughs> after you've listened to all the other ones. So Connecting People is a podcast that we run and it's about the journeys. We kind of spoke about that before. So you find us on Spotify, you find us on Apple Podcasts or directly on our website, which is sabina.com. That's S-A-B-I-N-N-A.com. Mm-hmm. The same thing for Instagram. If you just type in Sabina with double N, Twitter, Facebook, we're everywhere. And you can also find my personal account in case, I don't know, you, you need... In you case need, you want to stalk a founder. <laughs> in case you want to stalk a founder or you have a question or you want to collaborate or get involved or be part of our journey or give me feedback that is hopefully lovely. <laughs> Reach out. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Sophie, thank you very much. That was really fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, it'd be great if you could go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review as it really helps other people find our podcast. Thank you. See you next week.